In Matthew, the seventh chapter, in verses 13 and 14, Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. These are some of my favorite verses in Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. I really like what these verses have to say because I believe they're just so profound. They're just so rich. They just do such a wonderful job describing life in a nutshell. They just do such a wonderful job describing what life is really all about. Notice how, according to Jesus, the very Son of God, life, life is really all about two paths. Life is really all about two paths that every person is traveling on. Let me tell you something. I don't care who you are this morning. I don't care if you're a male or a female, old or young, rich or poor. I don't even care what the color of your skin may be, according to Jesus, you're on a path. I'm on a path. Every person is on a path. The question is, which one is it? Which path is it out of the two paths that are mentioned in these verses? Which one are you currently traveling on? Which path are you currently traveling on? I want to begin by asking you that question because according to what our Lord says in those verses, it is very clear that everybody's not on the same path. Everybody is not going in the same spiritual direction. This is something that I like to think about often, especially when I'm in a large crowd of people. I want to tell you something about me. Can I do that? I want to tell you something about me, and I don't want you to go to the elders telling them to fire me after I tell you this. I don't want you to stone me. I don't want you to come up to me after service and curse me out and chew me out and throw me into the, into the spiritual abyss. I want to tell you something about me, and I want you to know I'm not binding this on you. This is me. I'm not saying I'm right about this. This is just Sean Jeffries, okay? I want you to know that when it comes to Sean Jeffries, Sean Jeffries, and Greg, I want you to hear me on this. Sean Jeffries don't like camping. <laughs> I don't like camping. So don't ever ask me to go camping with you, because the answer is going to be no. I don't do camping. I don't like being outside in nature. I don't like being around a bunch of bugs. I don't want to pitch a tent, sleep in a sleeping bag, and, and sit around a campfire ro and roast a, a bunch of marshmallows. I don't want to put myself through a bunch of unnecessary torture. I don't like doing that. <laughs> I don't like camping. You know what I like? I like air conditioning. <laughs> I like having internet access and having a TV and a fridge and a microwave. And, and, and I like to, to just be able to just be in the comfort of a facility. 
I don't like camping. Many of you know that the Jeffries family, we take a lot of vacations every single year. We take about two or three vacations every single year, and if you notice from our Facebook pages, none of those vacations have anything to do with camping, do they? <laughs> You're never gonna see the Jeffries family snuggled up in a tent in a sleeping bag or roasting some marshmallows around a fireplace. Janice and I are one on this. We don't do camping. Instead, you know what we do? We like going to the big city. We like sitting in airports and riding airplanes and going to theme parks and going to places that have huge skyscrapers. Janice and I, we like to be in large crowds of people. In fact, whenever I'm in a large crowd of people, you know what I really like to do? I really like to just sit back and look at them. I really like to just sit back and watch people. I like to sit back and watch a large crowd of people and think about the words of Jesus. I like to think about the words of Jesus here in Matthew 7. I like to think about how all these people I'm looking at in this airport and all these people I'm looking at in Times Square or in downtown Los Angeles or in Chinatown in San Francisco or at the public market in Seattle, all these people I'm looking at right now, whether they know it or not, they're, they're on a path. They're on a path, whether they know it or not. They're either on that broad path that leads to destruction or they're on that narrow path that leads to life. They're either on a path of Jesus or they're on the path of Satan. They're either on a path to heaven or they're on a path to hell. That's the reality concerning everybody's life. That's the reality concerning my life. And that's the reality concerning your life. The question is... Do we believe that reality? Do you believe in that reality? Do you believe what Jesus says in those verses? Do you believe in the broad path and the narrow path? Do you believe in the path to heaven or in the path to hell? Do you even believe in heaven or hell? Do you believe in heaven and hell? I want to suggest that if you don't believe in heaven and hell, then you can't legitimately believe in Jesus. You can't legitimately believe in Jesus as the divine and holy Son of God. You see, believing in Jesus as the divine and holy Son of God, along with believing in heaven and hell, all of that's a package deal. All of that is stuff that is really tied together. It's all stuff that is inseparably linked. This is something that I hope you noticed when you did your New Testament Bible reading last year. Did you notice that in your Bible reading last year? As you did your Bible reading last year from the New Testament, did you notice how in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus had a lot to say about heaven and hell, didn't he? Jesus had a lot to say about the glories of heaven and the horrors of hell. In fact, the truth is, Jesus actually had a whole lot more to say about the horrors of hell than he did about the, the glories of heaven. Did you know that? Did you know that Jesus actually preached more about the horrors of hell than any other preacher in the Bible? It is not even close. You see, according to what Jesus said in his ministry, hell is a real place. Hell is an actual place. Hell is a place where the devil is going to be with his angels. In fact, not only will the devil and his angels be in hell, but going back to what these verses say here, notice how a lot of people are going to be there with them. 
Notice how the vast sea of humanity are going to be in hell suffering along with the devil and his angels. That is exactly what Jesus means when he talks about the broad path in these verses. You see, when Jesus talks about the broad path in these verses, we need to understand that not only is he telling us, not only is he telling us that everybody is not on the same spiritual path, but he's also telling us that most people are traveling on the wrong spiritual path. Most people are actually traveling on that broad path that leads to destruction. Notice again what the verses tell us. It says, enter, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And notice how he says there are many, there are many who enter through that gate. For the gate is small, the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are just a few, there are just a few who are going to find it. Here the Lord Jesus is clearly telling us that there are way more people traveling on the wrong spiritual path than there are traveling on the right spiritual path. Here the Lord is clearly telling us that there are going to be way more people lost than there are saved. This is a reality that is not just promoted by Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount, but it is something that we find being promoted all throughout the Bible. It's something that we find all throughout the book of Genesis. Do you remember Genesis chapter 6? Do you remember the days of Noah? Do you remember how in the days of Noah, the vast majority of people in the world at, world at that time were wicked? They were sinful and rebellious people, and that is why only eight people entered into the ark. Only eight people were saved from the flood. Everybody else died. The vast majority of people in the days of Noah were traveling on the broad path. And then I'm also reminded of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19. In Genesis 19, the Bible tells us the vast majority of people in those two cities were wicked. They were unholy. They were sexually immoral. In fact, they were so immoral that there were not even 10 righteous people in both of those cities combined. You remember, remember God told Abraham that? Most people in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah were traveling on the wrong path. And then what about the people of God in the Old Testament? What about the Israelites, the Hebrew people, the physical descendants of Abraham? What about how, how throughout the Old Testament we can read about how the vast majority of God's very own people, the Israelites, they rejected God. They rebelled against the God who had blessed them over and over again, and they immersed themselves in idolatry. Throughout the Old Testament, we learn that only a small remnant of those people served God faithfully. What I just want you to see is the words of Jesus here. The words of Jesus here in Matthew 7 are not really unique. They're not really strange or foreign to other Bible teaching. Instead, they promote a concept that we find being promoted all throughout the scriptures. They promote an idea that we find weaving its way throughout Genesis all the way to Revelation. Throughout Genesis all the way to Revelation, we learn that there are going to be way more people lost than there are saved. There are way more people traveling the broad path 
that leads to destruction, then they are traveling the narrow path that leads to eternal life. This is a reality that actually stands in direct contradiction to the belief system of universalism. You ever heard of universalism before? You know what universalism is? Universalism is the belief system that says that in the end, when it's all said and done, everybody's going to end up in the same place. Everybody in the end is going to end up in heaven. It doesn't matter what you may have done in your life. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if you believe in God or not. It doesn't matter if you're an atheist like Richard Dawkins or Bill Maher. It doesn't matter if you're someone who curses Jesus and spits on the Bible. It doesn't matter if you are a, a serial killer or a rapist and you refuse to repent. It doesn't even matter if you're somebody like Adolf Hitler or Osama bin Laden. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, what you believe or don't believe. In the end, in the end, everybody's going to be saved. In the end, everybody is going to end up in heaven. That, my friends, is the doctrine or the belief of universalism. That is a doctrine or belief system that more and more people are aspiring to or believing in today. But notice how that belief system, it stands in direct contradiction to what Jesus says here, right? Notice how despite the fact that God doesn't want anybody to perish, according to 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, and despite the fact that God does love everybody, according to John 3, verse 16, and despite the fact that we all have the same Bible this morning, and the same standard to receive the wonderful and powerful grace of God, the Bible says that most people are still going to be lost. The Bible says that most people are still traveling on the broad path that leads to destruction. That is the reality that Jesus gives whether we like it or not. The Bible says that everybody, everybody's not on the same path. In fact, not only is everybody not on the same path, but most people, the vast majority of people, are traveling on the wrong path. But I want to give you some good news to go with this lesson this morning. Even though most people are traveling on the wrong path, another thing that Jesus tells us is that God allows us to choose our path. Isn't that good news that God allows us to actually choose our path? We are not predestined to be on the wrong path. I want you to go in your Bible, please, to a familiar verse. It's found in the Old Testament. I want, to keep, I want you to keep yourself at Matthew 7. We're going to come back there, but I want you to go to the book of Joshua. When you go to Joshua chapter 24, I want to show you a verse in Joshua 24 that even though it's familiar, I think it will prove our point right now. This, in the context, is after the Israelites have spent seven years finally conquering their enemies in the land of Canaan. After finally conquering the Canaanites and dividing up that land, not long before Joshua passed away, the great military leader said this to the people of God. In Joshua 24 and verse 15, he says, If it's disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, and I highlighted this word in my Bible, he says, if it's disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose, notice, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my house, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Notice here, notice here how Joshua 
Joshua reminds the people of Israel of something very important. Notice how I hear Joshua reminds the people of Israel that when it comes to serving the Lord, when it comes to serving the one true and living God, they had a choice. They could choose what they wanted to do. They could choose whether or not to love God or hate God. They could choose whether, whether or not to serve God or reject God. They could choose whether or not to receive God's blessings or whether or not to receive his cursings. They had a choice when it came to this. They had a choice when it came to whether or not they wanted to serve God. And guess what? We have the same choice. We have that same choice today. Just like God wasn't going to force the Israelites to serve him, he's also not going to force us to serve him. In fact, his unwillingness to do this is part of what it means for us to be made in the image of God. You see, one of the things that makes us made in the image of God, one of the main things that makes us special and unique compared to everything else God has made is unlike the sun and the moon and the stars and the plants and the animals, we as human beings we have something called free will. We as human beings are free moral agents. Like God, we also possess the great ability to choose. We can choose what we want to do. We can choose to do right or we can choose to do wrong. We can choose whether or not to take that broad path that leads to destruction or whether to take that narrow path that leads to life. It's up to us. We can make a choice. In fact, Jesus himself makes this point right here in Matthew 7 and verse 13. Going back to Matthew 7 and verse 13, notice the first word in this text. What's the first word? The first word is enter. You see that? Jesus says enter through the narrow gate. The word enter that the Lord uses there implies choice. It implies that we have the ability to choose what we want to do. It is no different than when you may invite somebody to your house. You see, I may invite you to our home to have a meal and to get to know you better. I may give you that invitation, but you ultimately have to make the choice to come. You ultimately have to make the decision to accept the invitation. You ultimately have to make the decision to enter into our house. The word enter, the Lord uses here, implies the ability to make a choice. Jesus says that we can choose to go the right way. In fact, the truth is, if you go home and just read and study Matthew 7 very carefully, and I recommend you do that today, if you go home and read and study Matthew 7, verse, uh, Matthew 7 verses 13 down to verse number 27 very carefully, you know what you're going to see? You're going to see that whole chapter is about choices. That whole chapter is about choices. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. God says we can choose our path. We can choose if we're going to take the broad path or we're going to take the narrow path. We can choose the path to life or the path to destruction. We get to choose, God says. You know what else we get to choose? We also get to choose who we want to hear. According to verses 15 through 20 of that chapter, we can choose whether or not we're going to listen to false teachers or whether we're going to listen to teachers of truth. We can choose whether we're going to listen to men 
who are like tr or trees who bear bad fruit or whether we're going to listen to men who are like trees who produce good fruit. We can choose who we're going to listen to. You know what else we can choose? We can also choose whether or not we're going to do things the Lord's way. We can also choose whether or not we're going to really do the will of God. Look back at Matthew 7. Let's read these. Matthew 7, verse 21. In Matthew 7 and verse number 21, after saying that we can choose which teachers we're going to listen to in life, in Matthew 7 and verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does. He who does the will of my Father who's in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I want you to notice very carefully. Notice very carefully what Jesus says about these people who are standing before him in judgment. I think this is a judgment day scene here, okay? And I want you to notice what Jesus says about these people who stand before him in judgment. First notice how he describes these people in verse number 21 as believers. These are people who clearly believe in Jesus. We know that because they call him Lord. They call Jesus Lord. I hope we can all agree this morning that unbelievers are not going to call Jesus Lord. Richard Dawkins is not going to call Jesus Lord. These are believers. In fact, not only are they believers, but notice how according to verse number 22, they involve themselves in some religious works. Jesus says that they prophesied in his name. And they cast demons out in his name. And they performed many miracles in the name of Jesus. These are clearly people who believe in Jesus and they're very religious. They're not spiritually indifferent or inactive. And then notice how also in verse 22 we see that these religious believing people expected to go to heaven, didn't they? They expected to be saved. They sincerely thought that they were on that narrow path that leads to eternal life, but they learned from the Lord himself that they were wrong. They were deceived. Despite doing a bunch of religious things and slapping Jesus' name on it, Jesus said that they were on the broad path the entire time because the things that they were doing in the name of Jesus were actually works of lawlessness. They were actually works of iniquity. They were actually things that were not in line with the true will of God. These people did not choose to do things Jesus' way. The question is, will we make the right choice? And let's not forget the next part of this text, verses 24 through 27. Let's not forget about the song we often sing with our kids, a song that you don't have to worry about me singing right now. I'm going to leave that to somebody else, but I'm pretty sure you know the words of the song, right? We sing it with faith all the time. You know the song, the wise man, he built his house on the what? On the rock. That is, he built his house on the words of Jesus. He built his house on faith. He built his house on the commandments of the Lord. 
And as a result of that, when the storms of life came his way, his house stood firm. But the foolish man, the foolish man built his house on the, on the sand. The foolish man built his house on the wisdom of the world, on the teachings of men, on teachings that stood in direct opposition to the will of God. And when the storms of life came his way, what happened to his house? It went, it went splat. One man built his house on the right foundation. And the other man built his house on the wrong foundation. Matthew chapter 7 is all about choices. It's all about choices. We can choose our foundation on which to build upon. We can choose whether or not we're going to do things Jesus' way. We can choose who we're going to hear when it comes to Bible teaching, and we can choose our path. We can either choose to take that broad path that leads to destruction, or we can choose to take that narrow path that leads to eternal life. God says that we can choose which way to go. The question is, what decision have you made? What choice have you made? What spiritual path are you on right now in your life? Do you know who Albert Einstein is? You know Albert Einstein, right? Albert Einstein is widely regarded to be one of the greatest physicians of all time. He was a brilliant man, very intelligent, but he also was known to be, to be very forgetful. Did you know that? He was also known to be very absent-minded at times. In fact, that is why he received the nickname of the absent-minded professor. I'm reminded of an interesting story I read about Albert Einstein a few years ago. I read a story a few years ago about an occasion when Albert Einstein was traveling by train to Princeton University. He was on his way to Princeton University by train and the conductor started going through the car there and he was punching everybody's tickets. He was making sure everybody was legit, punching everybody's tickets and then when he gets to Albert Einstein, Albert Einstein starts acting, you know, just, just being frantic. He can't find his ticket. So he looks in his pants, the pockets in his pants. He's looking in his briefcase. He's looking to the left, to the right. He's looking all over the place, and he can't find his ticket. This takes so long that, that, the, that the young conductor finally says, don't worry about it. We know who you are. You're Albert Einstein. We trust you. We know that you probably have a ticket. Don't worry about it, sir. And so the young man continues to go through the train there, punching tickets, and as he's about to make his way to the next car, he looks back and he sees Albert Einstein on his knees. He sees him looking under his seat for this ticket. And so the young man goes back to Albert Einstein and he says, sir, get up. I told you, you don't, you don't have to do that. We know who you are. You're Albert Einstein. We trust you. We know that you probably have a ticket. It's okay. And so Albert Einstein got up and he looked at the, at the young man and he said, young man, I also know who I am. 
one thing I don't know is I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> he said, I don't know which direction this train is headed right now. Albert Einstein is one of the most brilliant men in the history of the world, and at that moment in his life, he didn't even know where he was going. He didn't even know which direction. He was headed on that train. The question is, what about you? Do you know where you're going? Do you know what direction you are headed right now? Do you know which path you are on? Do you know if you're really on the narrow path that leads to eternal life or if you're on that broad path that leads to destruction? I want to suggest that right now in your life, you can know which path you're on. Right now, you can know where you're going. You can know whether or not you are traveling to heaven or hell. You don't have to wait till the judgment day to find that out. Going back to the words of Jesus, remember what Jesus said? Jesus says that we can know our current path. In Matthew 7, verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does what? He who does the will of my Father who's in heaven will enter. Notice how out of the category of people in this life, Jesus says that there's only really one category of people who are going to be saved, and it's those who do something. You got to do something, Jesus says. I got to do something. We got to do something. Jesus says that it's not enough just to be a religious believer. It's not enough just to go to church once or, or, or twice during the week, but instead we got to do the will of the Father. The implication of that is we got to do all the will of the Father. Jesus says only those who do the will of the Father will go to heaven. Jesus says if you're doing the will of the Father, you can know. You can know which path you're on. John talks about this a lot in his writings. In 1 John 2 and verse 3, John says, By this we know, we as Christians, we know that we've come to know him, that we've come to know God if we keep his commandments. Doesn't that line up perfectly with the words of Jesus? And then in 1 John 5 and verse 15, John says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Now the idea there of believing in the name of the Son of God is not just the idea of mental assent, but instead it's the idea of trust and obedience. Those who truly believe in God, those who obey God, those who are committed to God, those who trust God. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you can live your life knowing right now. If you have eternal life. What is how when it comes to our spiritual standing? When it comes to our spiritual path, when it comes to where we are currently headed when it comes to eternity, we don't have to guess about that. We don't have to live our lives in doubt about that. We don't have to live our lives confused about that and perplexed about that. Instead, we can live our lives knowing that. We can know where we're going. We can know what path we're on right now. We can know if we're really on that narrow path based on our current devotion and obedience to God. That's what the Bible says. And so again, as you think about these two paths, I just got to close by asking you, do you know where you're going? Do you know where you're going? As you evaluate your, your spiritual life, do you know what spiritual path you're on right now? 
My friends, if you sit there in the pew this morning and realize that you are currently on the wrong spiritual path, you're currently headed in the wrong spiritual direction, I want you to understand that it doesn't have to stay that way for you. I want you to understand that you don't have to stay on that path. You can exit off that broad path this morning and you can get on the narrow path. You can do that right here and right now and you can do that by believing in Jesus Christ. Believing in him as the son of God, repenting of your sins, obeying his commandment to be baptized in water for the forgiveness of your sins. If you've done those things before, but you've wandered away from him, you've gotten off the narrow path. If you repent and confess your sins and ask us to pray with you and pray for you, you can get right back on that path again. You can get right back on that path that's going to lead you to true eternal life with God. And so if there's anyone here this morning who's on the wrong path and you want to get on the right path, let us help you with that. And we will help you with that right here and right now as we stand and we sing.